Welcome to The Grove. Uh, my name is Eric Matoy. If you don't know me, Pastor The Grove, and we're thrilled you're here. We're in a series. Uh, this is the week two. The series called What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. Uh, I don't know if you've ever turned on the news, gone to the, the newspaper, read something on social media about what's happening around the world. Um, how many of you guys know that that can be pretty depressing? Are you with me, right? Night before you go to bed, like the thing you turn on before you go to bed, you're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, are you serious? And like, because bad news sells, right? That's why they show so much bad news, because people pay attention more to the bad news than the good news. So they don't always have a lot of good news in the news. There's always a lot of bad news. Well, if you focus on the bad news, you focus on what's going on, it could be overwhelming. And sometimes you're like, I just don't know what to do. Or maybe in life you face something difficult at work or at home in relationships, and, and something's going on. In the middle of it, you just face like this crisis, something that takes place, and you're just overwhelmed, and you don't know what to do in the middle of that. Well, this series is really just saying, hey, there's, there's something you can do all the time. And God has some solutions for us and some help for us. So if you're uh, new, to the, new to the church, new to the Grove, uh, maybe you haven't been to church for a while, uh, this series really gives you an insight. So if you're not a Christian, it gives you insight into, into some of the um, tools that we have as Christ followers to be able to make it through those really difficult times and to answer the question, what do I do when I don't know what to do? When life is falling apart, when life's going crazy, what do I do when I don't know what to do? And really, the, the series is really a, a series on spiritual warfare, right? It's kind of interesting that we would name it what to do when you don't know what to do. Well, sometimes you don't know what to do because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And we're talking this month about there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't always see. And so if we can learn to trust God and, and, and lead us on this journey, he'll help us to overcome those parts of our life that we don't see and don't know what to do. Uh, so last week I said that um, when it comes to um, the journey we're on, uh, we are, we are, um, do you know the next slide for me? Oh, I lost it. Did I lose it? I must have deleted it. So, so we're, we are not human beings having a, a spiritual experiment, experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. All right. Uh, so we have to change our, our, our mindset when it comes to that, because uh, a lot of times we think physical, the world we're in, things I face, this life, that's all there is. Well, no, the Bible says this is just part of the story. There's so much bigger, larger story that's going on. And even just what you feel, what you see, the, the, the reality of the physical world that you're in, that is only a part of it. There's so much more in the unseen. And so last week we set up the stage really to talk about um, the battle that we're in because the Bible says we're in a battle, but it's not against people, which we'll read in a second. It's against unseen forces. So you have to understand that we try to fix a lot of physical things with physical um, outcome like so that we want to change the, the physical things happening outside with physical um, choices that we make uh, but a lot of times what's going on in our life is actually starts internally not externally and we need to figure out how that works and, and what it goes so uh, for this month we're challenged i'm challenging to read the book of ephesians all right and so um i challenged you last week on monday read one tuesday read two there's six six uh, chapters in the book of ephesians and if you'll read one every day, you'll, you'll get through it every single week. And if we did it through the month of August, we'd, we'd read through it four times. And so I'd encourage you to do that with us this week. Um, and here's the breakdown of Ephesians, if you don't know. All right, so Ephesians 1 through 3, it's really about the work of God in the life of a Christian. So it's the work that God has done on the behalf of people. So it's a pretty interesting book. And the main word there you would, you'll see a lot is sit. Um, the key word there is sit. Sit means relationship. It means you're in, in, adopted in the family. It means you're at the table. It means you're a part of what God is doing. So Paul says we sit in heavenly realms with, with, with Christ, right? So in the spiritual realm of Christ, we're seated with him um, in, in a different realm. There's, there's just something more going on here. Uh, but he talks about the work that God did for us. And then the second part, four through five, and part of six is the walk of the Christian, right? And the key word there is walk. That on this journey of life, there are some things that God has invited us to do to be able to walk on this journey. And then the sixth part, which we're focusing on every message will be the last part, the chapter six, is the warfare of the Christian. And the key word there is stand. 
So we're supposed to sit, we're supposed to walk, we're supposed to stand. There's some action to this journey that's called the Christian life, that we are supposed to trust God in, in things. And so warfare of the Christian, we're talking about that because you have to understand that uh, there's more going on than we even understand. So if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and list it because it's the foundation for what we're talking about these next few weeks, um, about, about really understanding that we have an enemy. In fact, Ephesians, we'll read it, Ephesians 6, 10 through 15. Paul says this, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Uh, finally, so he's, he just wrote this book, the, these, these six chapters. He sent it out to the church of Ephesus. And his final comments, he's saying, finally be strong. So he's saying, all right, I gave you all this information. Now I'm going to summarize. I'm going to give you some last uh, details. You know, last details are very important because they're helping us to understand other things that were written in that, in that book. So he says, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. So God has some equipment, some tools for us to be able to use if we're in this battle that we can't see, well, there's some, some ways that we can overcome, we can win. So he says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We talked about that last week. For our struggle is not against people, right? It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So last week we talked about those two verses, and we stopped there. Well, now we're going to continue on and talk about the tools, the equipment that he's, he's telling us that we should use if we're going to be successful. So in life, when you don't know what to do and you're facing something difficult, Paul is saying, here's some tools, here's some equipment to help you be able to overcome, to be able to, to stand your ground and to do well. Uh, he says this, therefore, put on the full armor of God. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the, all the armor pieces and what that looks like, right? So he's, he's using the, uh, the comparison of a Roman soldier, which he's in prison writing these letters. So he's probably chained at, at times he was chained to a Roman soldier. So I'm sure he had a lot of time to study their, their gear and look at what they wore. And he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and, and day of evil is referring to those moments when we face something really difficult. Um, you will face something difficult. Jesus said that um, in this world, you will have troubles, right? That's the statement Jesus made. In this world, you will have troubles. And, and that doesn't seem like a very positive statement, but it's, it's positive in the fact that it's going to happen. You're very positive about that. It's going to happen. We all face that. Well, when that day comes, he's saying, uh, be prepared. So when those days come, you'll be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. All right. And then he says, and, and when he says, therefore, anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you always ask the question, what is that? What is therefore? What is it therefore? Um, he's, he's giving you some indications of what he just wrote about. Don't miss this because you cannot do the first part without this part. And so he's telling you what's going on, what you need to do. Now he's saying, therefore, do these things. Don't miss this part. So put on the floor as you can stand your ground. Um, they put on something that's available to you. All right. Uh, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. It gives you the first part of armor, um, of, of equipment. Belt, belt of truth around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Uh, so for shoes, he's saying put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. Um, King James, New King James Version says it like this. Stand firm, having guarded your waist with truth, right? Or having another translation, guarded, uh, girded your, uh, your loins, right? your, your belt. What, what he means is um, the Romans would have these tunics that were long, right? They would have to pull their tunic up and they would tuck it in their belt. That's what it means to be girded. And that essentially they were ready to run. They're ready to fight. They're ready for action. It wasn't just like a casual stroll. It's like there's action. And so there's these three pieces he gives us what we're going to talk about today. Notice the key words is having girded, having put on, having shot, right? So it's key that having is to be, it's, it's, a, it's a state of being. So Paul is saying, if you're following Christ, here are three things that you need to have on all the time, always with, with you all the time as you live your life. These are three things you have to live out if you're going to walk the, 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 the journey that Christ is calling you to. So therefore, having girded your, your waist with truth, 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So let's look at the first uh, part of that, all right, the first uh, um, equipment that he gives us. He says, stand firm then, having the belt of truth. How do you stand against the enemy? Well, you have to have this, you have to have, um, you have to have something. If you're going to win this battle, you need a belt, and this belt is called truth. Everybody say truth. Truth. This belt is called truth. So the belt that you're supposed to wear is truth. And I find it very interesting that Paul uses this as a starting point. Truth is very foundational. If you get this wrong, all the other parts of the equipment really don't work well. In fact, next week we're going to talk about the sword, the sword that you wear. That attaches to the belt. There's a reason it's attached to the belt. Uh, the, the breastplate actually attaches to the belt also, the Romans in, in the outfit. And so you, if you don't have the belt on, everything else is out of order. You're not comfortable. You're not going to be able to accomplish it. So he starts with, with truth. And what is truth? It's a standard of ultimate reality. Really, um, truth is an objective standard by which, which reality is measured. In your life, when it comes to truth, it's an it's a objective standard. See, there's two kinds of truths that we live when, when people talk about truth. They're either talking about objective truth, which is a standard you can actually measure, like scientific proof, prove it through science, right? And there's subjective truth, which is subjective truth means like my truth. It's my experience. It's what I believe, right? So that's subjective. Subjective changes. Um, subjective would be like one day they tell you um, eating certain kind of food is really good for you. And then the next day, the science come out and they're like, no, we found out it's bad for you. And then a little later, like, wait, and actually it's good for a little bit's good for you. And then, no, no, that, that's subjective. It's kind of like there's not enough information yet to really know what the truth is. And so they're trying to figure it out. It's, it's an idea. Um, in our world, this is one of the challenges we have as we start back going to school. Um, you're going to hear even statements like there is no absolute truth. What they're talking about is it's all subjective. Like your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Well, that's not really what truth is. See, real truth is, is an, object, is an object, objective, objective standard by which we are measuring what reality is, what the ultimate reality is. And when it comes to, to that kind of standard, uh, that kind of standard is outside of ourselves. Um, the standard would be like gravity. You know, gravity is real no matter what you do. You throw something up, it's going to fall. It's just, gravity is a standard that's unchanging, right? That's what an objective standard is. It's, it's, it's something that we measure what, what life is, the way things are. Um, and, and really, that, it doesn't matter what we think or what we feel, a fixed standard is a fixed standard no matter what we feel or what we think about it. And the truth is everything conforms around that truth, not about what we feel, our feelings, or what we think. Um, and so when we, look, when, when we want to know what real truth is, we have to look at the origin of truth. And God says, I created everything. If you'll trust me, I'll show you what truth is. And you'll be, if, you, if you learn from me, actually, you'll be wiser than a lot of your teachers because you'll actually find out what truth is, not just subjective truth, not just ideas and theories. Right? We still teach some theories in school as if they're the real truth, but they're still a theory. They're still trying to figure it out. There's not enough information to really prove it or disprove it at this point. So they're trying to understand that. But we take it as truth just because somebody said it. You've got to say, no, no. Here's the example. Uh, if you went to London, England, there's this big clock tower, right? Big Ben. You ever seen a picture of it? Big Ben is this, this massive clock tower that has clocks around it. Well, back in the day, I think now it's probably a little different because of phones. Back in the day, people would have their pocket watches or their watches on, and they would, they would stand around Big Ben, and they would pull out their watch, and they would look at their time, and they'd look at Big Ben's time. And if their time was off, they would adjust their time to Big Ben's time, right? Um, because their watch would be their truth, right, their time. Uh, but Big Ben was the standard. That was the real time. So if your watch was five minutes behind, you wouldn't go behind this, the, into the clock to, where the, all the parts are and the people there and, and tell them, hey, guys, uh, your, your clock is wrong. Your truth is wrong. We need to adjust it because my truth is right. That, that's subjective just my truth, right? So in culture, we have a lot of people saying, well, this is my truth. Well, it doesn't matter if your watch and all your friends' watches are five minutes behind. That is not the standard. 
And you can say all you want, this is what truth really is when the standard is right there. If the whole country of England's watch was off and Big Ben was different, they would all be wrong. And it would be the standard has been set. This is what the real time is. So everybody goes off of the standard, not off of what they feel or think it should be. We have the same uh, kind of system here in the U.S. In Colorado, it's an electric system that actually measures time. So from our, our phones and our watches, uh, it, it, the, the towers talk to that. So we're always on the same time when it comes to the phones. Why? Because there's an electric system in Colorado that tells us this is the standard, right? This is what is true. Circle around that. That is what objective truth is. That's an objective standard that's set outside of who we are. And so the real question really is this. What will be the standard that you measure everything against? See, in life, if you miss this, if you miss this truth about what real truth is, you will begin to measure your life according to things that aren't even true. And people and culture accept things and say, this is, it's our truth. We could accept this as truth. But when it's contrary to what real truth is, you will not get the results that you hope for, ever. Because it's a false truth. It's not true. Um, it's, it's, and even if you don't like it or don't like it, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's like um, um, when you don't, don't like what the standard says, you know, it doesn't matter. It's still the standard. I heard a story about Muhammad Ali, you know, famous boxer. He was really good, one of the best boxers ever. He was flying in a plane um, from one city to the other, and the pilot in the middle of their, their trip, the pilot comes on and says, hey, guys, we have turbulence. Um, we're going to put on the, the fast seatbelt. When everybody put your seatbelts on, we'll we go through this turbulence for your safety. And so he gets off, and so the stewardess is walking through, and she's checking every seatbelts, comes across Muhammad Ali and says, hey, sir, your, your seatbelt, the pilot said we need to put our seatbelts on. Turbulence is for your safety. You put it on. And he turns to the lady and says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess doesn't skip a beat, and she says, Superman don't need no plane. Please put your seatbelt on. It doesn't matter his truth, right? The real truth is, is what we measure things against. And so in our lives, what is the standard that God is saying we need to measure against? Um, another, another idea of that would be like when talking about planes, right? So um, in, in, when they're training pilots to fly, they say you have to trust the, the, the console, all, all the instruments and the, tool, the, 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 the board, right? Because it's going to tell you information that you might not think is real. In fact, they, there's a lot of documented crashes where the plane is crashed upside down into the ground or into the ocean. Why? Because when they're in the air, it can be very disorienting, I guess, in that situation or been, but it could become disorienting where you begin to think up is down and down is up. And a lot of p- p- pilots will, they won't trust their instruments. They'll think, man, these must be broken because that is definitely up. And they fly the plane upside down, not realizing that they're flying it upside down into their, into their own death because they didn't trust the standard. And so they teach pilots, here's the standard. Your feelings, what you think, what you're seeing sometimes is not the standard. You need to learn to trust the standard. And a lot of times what we do is we just try it. We lower the standard. We make it more like we can actually get to it. And God say, no, no, you got to know my standard. Here's my standard. And so uh, when it comes to the belt of truth, essentially God is saying you need to know truth in your life. But also when it, it also comes to being truthful in your life and honest. It's about having integrity. Right. So having the belt of truth means that you're walking out the things that, you know. So if you're if you're new, maybe to, to the faith or to, to church, and you don't know a lot like, well, what is God's truth? Well, you begin to read it. And all he asks is, would you begin to practice the truth that you do know? So what is the truth that you know? Do you know the truth that you shouldn't rob and steal? That's a great truth, so don't rob and steal. That might look differently in, in different parts of the day, right? It's not going to a store and taking something. It could be taking somebody's time by not working well enough. There's, there's different application to that. But you begin to apply the truth as, as, as you learn it, right? And so it's, it's living with moral courage and with integrity in your life. That's what truth is. So you put this belt of truth on in your life that, that kind of is the foundation for everything else. So the second part, he says, stand firm then, having put on the breastplate 
of righteousness. Now, the reason he starts with truth is because righteousness is the application of truth. So how do you know what is right? Well, God tells you, here's, what, here's my standard. Here's what's right. So righteousness is doing what's right in, in the sight of God's eyes, not in the sight of your eyes, not, not in your neighbor, what they think or what they, what they say. It's what God says. So all of culture sometimes will say something opposite, and they'll actually say this is right, and God's word says, no, that's not right. So that's not righteousness. That is actually unrighteousness or it's wrongfulness, right? So, it's, so righteousness is, is meeting a standard that God set. The opposite of righteousness would be wrongness, doing what's wrong. And here's the thing about doing what's wrong is um, when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to ha- us having an enemy, the enemy's power comes from us being disobedient. The enemy's power comes from us to choose the opposite of God. See, the Bible says that there's two spirits that are, that are, that are um, available to us. There's the spirit of the evil one. There's the spirit of God. And God's spirit, when we allow him to lead and, and, and help us on this journey, we produce the good things that God has for us. And when we disobey God and we reject his teachings and we do our own thing, we invite all the other, the, the, the spirit of the evil one and the demons to be able to, to have their way in our lives. Wrongness actually attracts them into our lives. It gives them a legal right to come and mess with us. But when we do what's right, we're actually protected. So you're doing something that's right. Um, I guess the idea of this would be like in our home. If you were doing something wrong, maybe like that would be compared to physical thing would be there's a spirit. There's a, there's always like a, a spiritual and physical like reality, right? So in your home, if you didn't throw your trash away, right, your trash began to build up and you're like, yeah, that's not right. It's not good. I'm going to just store it. And after a while, your trash starts stinking, right? And that's a problem because it's trashy and it's, and it's dirty. But the, now the problem becomes a greater problem because now what happens to your trash is it begins to stink in your house is it actually sends an invitation out to what? To bugs and to rodents, right? Now you're giving those, those rodents a legal right to come in because you said, I am now preparing something for you to come in. And the trash in your house that you leave out, right, now becomes a bigger issue because you've invited more things into it. A lot of times what we try to do, instead of getting rid of the trash, we just try to have trash management in our lives. And so what we do is we put the trash in the closet. You ever have someone come to your house and things aren't in order? What do you do? It's like that one room, you get all the stuff and just throw it in. And they're like, wow, your house is so clean. Yes, it is. And all the trash, all the junk's in one room, right, in the closet. Yeah, open the closet, like, yeah. So in our lives, when we make wrong foot, when we're disobedient, we choose to do what's wrong. It's like we have trash, we have baggage, we have things in our life of choices we've made. And instead of dealing with it, we just manage it and we push it to the sides. And this can even happen to people that call themselves Christians. They show up to church, they hear everything's great, everything's good, and they have all this baggage and stuff that even they've done from the week that is wrong and disobedient to what God has, but we're just managing in it. And religion says, hey, just put on a smile, pretend everything's good, just manage what you have going on there. Don't, don't let it flood out in everybody else. Don't let everybody know about it, right? And, and the truth is God is saying, no, if you want a better life, you have to deal with that. If you want to have righteousness protecting you, you have to live in such a way that you don't allow that stuff into your life. Um, so um, he's saying wrongness, it, it invites uh, the de- demonic to come in, a demonic invitation to come in. Uh, or we clean it up and we say, God, we invite you to lead us on this journey. Um, and so Proverbs 4.23 says like this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. If you don't know where you're going in life, your, your heart is directing it. The choices you make, it flows from the, the desires that within. It's what you choose to think about, what you choose to, to focus on. So he's saying you have to guard your heart. First uh, Corinthians one thirty says, God has united you with Christ Jesus for, your, for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. 
Christ made us right with God because of the cross, right? So Paul in Corinthians is talking about the cross and the, and the work that he did, that when we accept Christ's sacrifice and we invite him to lead us, we invite him to be our Lord of our life, he actually gives us his righteousness. He's made righteousness for us. And he made us pure and holy and freed us from sin. So essentially, he says, I'm giving you a new start. Your life, when you invite me in, you ask for forgiveness, it's a clean start. Not necessarily physically, but spiritually, you get a clean start. And he says, now from that clean start, let, let all the things you learn begin to seep out into the, into the externals, into the physical realm. He says, let that start there. Um, when you do what's right, you don't have to worry about what's coming. You don't have to worry about what people say. Proverbs 28.1 says it like this. The wicked flee, though no one pursues them. The wicked, <laughs> they're running around everywhere, even when nobody's pursuing them. Why? Because they know they did something wrong and they're afraid. But the righteous, notice the righteous, they're as bold as lions. Why are they bold? Because there's nothing to be afraid of. They did what was right. They don't have to fear. Uh, Romans 13.3 says it like this. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. Uh, this, this is lived out every single day when we drive down the road. All right? You're driving down the road, and you pass a police officer. What's the first thing you do? You look down. Well, okay. If you're slowing down, you're already speeding, right? <laughs> Typically, you let your foot off the gas. You look at your speedometer. And if you're going too fast, then you what? Slow down a little bit, right? If you're not going that fast, you're like, Hey, officer, right? No worries. And if you're going the speed limit, the officer waves back, like, have a good day. And if you are speeding 20 over, the officer waves at you. But instead of this kind of wave, he's like, hey, pull over, right? And then it's like, here's your gift for going over the speed limit. So what he's saying is when people who are doing right have no fear of the authorities. You're, when you drive and you're not doing what's right, you don't have to be afraid of them pulling over. You don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen. You, you, can, you can just go forward. But those who are doing wrong have a fear that comes with it. So when you do what's right, it actually protects your life. It actually helps you to be um, free from a lot of opposition. And when you don't do what's right, you expose yourself to vital parts of your life. In fact, the, the breastplate that the Roman soldier would, would use is called a thorax. It actually meant a heart protector. Like it meant like <laughs> this all is for the vital organs. We know because if these get damaged, this stops working, everything else stops working. Well, spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. If your heart is, is the, where all the choices we make in life are coming, you need to protect that. Because as soon as you open yourself up to doing what's wrong, you open yourself to attack the enemy, your heart gets, well, because hard, right? Because of sin, because of that. And you actually become hard towards the things of God, and you only go to your own way, and you only do what, what is popular and what feels good. And God is saying you're missing out when you do that. You're living in a way that's selfish, not what I'm asking you to. And so he's saying you have to learn to do this. And notice, religion is always about the externals. God is always about the internals. He says, hey, it got to start in the heart. Protect your heart. Because out of your heart, as you know the truth and you live it out, you'll begin to see results in your life that are really good. And you'll be able to stand against the enemy. The third thing, stand firm then, having your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Um, so having, having your feet, right? So you, have, you need shoes if you're going to win this battle. And these shoes are called peace. And they come from the gospel of peace. Like we understand that the gospel means good news, right? So the good news that God brought peace to everyone, uh, we get these shoes from understanding, first having peace with God, but then understanding what that peace is all about. That even though I've messed up, as I reach out to God and say, God, forgive me, he responds and says, welcome to the family. Let me help you lead you on this journey that you can make a difference with your life. And he, and he wants us on this. So we get this, these shoes called, called feet. Isaiah 26.3 says this about peace. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So peace comes from saying, God, we put our trust in you. Uh, the biblical definition of peace is this. Peace, 
means calm and tranquility of soul in the midst of difficult circumstances. So calm and tranquility of soul in the midst of difficult circumstances. When you're facing something that's difficult, the biblical definition of peace is you have something inside that's calm and tranquil even when, it, when chaos is going around. Biblical peace, peace means that when things are going wrong, you're still okay. You don't, and, and, and here's the thing about that kind of peace is you don't know if you have it until you face something that challenges it. For some of you, it's so easy to take your peace. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, right? You take your shoes off and you're like running at the enemy with bare feet. Like, I'm gonna, yeah, that, that's taking off your peace. Yeah? The enemy knows this and, and, and God actually allows these things to happen in our life to show us, hey, you're, you're taking off your, your shoes. Like, chill out, right? Calm down. Let tranquility of your soul, even in the middle of what's going on, what's going crazy, be there. And when we don't have it, it's an indication that we're not wearing our shoes. Why are shoes so important? Well, to the Roman soldier, one, they could go long distances. They could do a lot with their life, right? Two, the different kind of shoes they had. Some had little knobs at the bottom where they, um, like cleats. And some even had really long nails so that if they're going up a hill and they're fighting combat on a hill, they would have sure footing, right? Those cleats would dig into the ground so that when the opponent hits them with their shield, they would not fall to their feet. If you're fighting an opponent with a shield and they're hitting you, you have no shoes on, where are you going to go? To the floor. And then what happens? Then the sword comes out and they cut, cut you, right? They kill you because you didn't have the shoes on. You, weren't, you couldn't hold your ground. And so Paul is saying part of holding your ground is having peace. And I love this about, about um, how Paul explains these different parts of, of the armor. It's so counterintuitive um, or even in counter to what we would think as humans of what should be important to hold our ground. Peace. It's kind of like there's a battle going on, and, you, and most people would be freaking out. And God is saying, no, no, in the middle of that battle, you don't freak out. You have peace. Calm down. Have peace. Another, another place Paul says is the peace that God gives is it passes understanding. Uh, others won't understand. Even though your world is falling apart, you're not falling apart. Even though your world you're struggling with, you're, you're okay in the middle of that. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace always and be thankful. That word rule is this idea of an umpire, right? So they make the call. In baseball, the, the guy throws it, it's a strike. The umpire called a strike. Letting God rule in your life means he's the one that's making the calls. God, I trust you. You lead me. You want me to go that way? All right, I'm going to lead you on this journey. And as you follow his lead, you have peace in your life because you know he's directing it. See, part of the problem that we have when we face things in life is when we don't have peace, number one, if you don't have peace about something, don't ever move forward. You stop and you seek God until you find that peace. Sometimes you don't have peace because God is trying to get your attention to show you that you're off track, right? Other times you don't have peace because you're doing something that's opposite of what God is saying. If you don't have peace, you need to stop and say, God, what is it in the middle of this? Whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's your kids, you need to learn to say, God, what is it that, that you're saying that will give me peace, that will help me to have peace in the middle of whatever I'm going through? Um, and I would say, as he says, you always be thankful. Part of the evidence of peace is thankfulness comes with it. You know you have peace that when you're going through something difficult, you're still able to say, God, thank you for this. God, thank you for that. It's evidence that you have peace because you're not focusing on what is in front of you. You're focusing on the person that can destroy what's in front of you. You're not focused on the giant, but you're focused on the one who can take out the giant. You're not focused on the mountain. You're focused on the one that can remove the mountain, that can open the doors. That can, that, that. So when it comes to peace, it's hard to give to others what, that which we don't have. Part of, part of the gospel of peace is also this idea that we, we use our lives that everywhere we go, we take this gospel with us. And if you don't have peace, it's going to be very hard to share your peace with others. So learn to have peace. Um, learn to, to trust God. And I would say this, that if, if peace is not your normal way of operating, you're out of sync spiritually. So like on a given day, given, any given day of the week, 
If your normal way of thinking about things is anxiety and worry, you're out of order spiritually. So um, there's times we all have anxiety. We all have worries that pop up, right? That's normal. But those, those things that pop up should actually drive us to God saying, God, help me find the truth for this so I can have a solution. But if you're operating by anxiety, that just means that one anxious thought leads to another anxious thought or a worse anxious thought, which just creates more worry and more fear, right? And if you're doing that on a daily basis, you're actually going to battle without your shoes. Like you're walking around this world like, hey, what do you got? Knock me off my feet. Knock me off my balance because I'm always worried about everything. God is saying if you're going to trust me, you'll have peace and you'll be able to stand firm even when the attacks of the enemy comes because you're, you're, you're trusting him. You have a relationship with him. You're waiting for him. Uh, Larry Stockstill, a pastor, he says like this, when your heart is not at peace, it's a signal 100% of the time that something is out of order. 100% of the time that something is out of order when your heart is not at peace. When you're facing something that you're worried about and you're anxious, you have to stop and ask the question, man, where am I focused on right now? And typically when we're anxious and we're worried, we're not focused on God's truth. We're focused on our own, maybe the, what we feel is the reality, what's going on. And God is saying, stop, focus on what I have for you so you can, you can experience what I have. Um, so the question we ask now is, so what do I do when I don't know what to do? What do I do when I don't know what to do? Ephesians six ten through 12 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the form of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So when you're facing something in life and it's difficult and you don't know what to do with this situation, Paul is saying, hey, stand strong in the Lord. He's fought the battle for you. You can be victorious if you follow his lead, right? But put on something. Put on these three things. Put on the armor of God. Today we talk about three. Next week we'll talk about another three. So put on the, the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate or the body armor of righteousness and the shoes of peace. So if you're not honest and you don't conduct yourself with integrity and you don't live the truth God wants you to, you don't have the belt. It's not on and your, your life is out of order. Um, you will, you'll be tripped up and your life won't work the way it's supposed to. Or if you're believing the wrong truth, right? That's like you're wearing that wrong belt. It's not going to work the way you want to. And it's so important you have the right belt on because now the breastplate of righteousness flows from that. So if you choose to do wrong, your heart is not protected and the attacks of the enemy can get to you. And you have to worry about what's happening. Young people, this is probably one of the best things you can learn just on this one thing when it comes to breastplate of righteousness. When you do what's right, you don't have fear of, the con- of consequences, the repercussions of what takes place because you did what's right. But when you do what's wrong, yeah, there's going to be fear and there's going to be worry about that because you know there'll be something coming that's not good. Um, and then shoes of peace. If you don't have peace, if you don't have the shoes on, it's easier for you to get knocked off your feet, out of balance, to, to, to miss what, what, um, what's really going on. You get disoriented. And you don't have peace, you begin to focus on the wrong things. And part of the enemy's strategy is if I can knock you enough times, right? So Monday hit you this way. Tuesday hit you this way. Wednesday hit you this way. Before you know it, it's like, I have no peace. I hate everybody, right? You, you took your shoes off. And now what's going to happen? Whatever comes your way, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be worry. It's going to be anxiety. But God says, hey, trust me for this. Put your shoes on. Let me, let me lead you in this. And let that be the, the way of operating, that you follow God in peace at all times. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, you walk in the way of peace. And the way you do that is by living the truth found in God's word, right, doing the right things. So the way you live in peace, these three things go together. They're, they're available to us. The way you have peace in your life is by living the truth that you find in God's word. You live it out. So living it out would be the application. That would be righteousness, doing the right thing. So know the truth, live the truth, and the results are you'll be able to walk in peace and you'll be able to trust God. You'll be able to let him lead you on this journey. Um, John sixteen thirty three. I told you in the beginning that Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, 
Well, he said more than that. He didn't say like it wasn't just a downer. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. Say it again, what? Peace. So he's told us, the disciples, he said, you're going to face difficulties. You're going to go through days where it's going to be really hard. But he says, you're going to have troubles, but take heart, right? Why? In this world, you have troubles. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome. You can overcome. Trust me on this journey. Stick in there. Hang in there. Stand firm, Paul says. Don't give up. So, so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you these things. I'm helping you understand that when you face something hard, you don't have to freak out. You can walk in peace. I'm giving you peace. In fact, two chapters before, he says in John 14, he says, peace, I live with you. My peace, I give to you. Not like the world peace they give to you, but my peace is from God. See, the world, they can give a form of peace, right? It's a momentary peace. They can do it through appeal, calms you down. They can do it through some drugs, calms down through entertainment that distracts for a while. Maybe lasts for an hour or two. But then that peace goes away. And what happens? All the anxiety returns. God's peace is different. It comes from him where he says, I give you more. And God's peace is always from inside out. It starts with the truth. It starts with us doing what's right, even when everybody else is not doing what's right. And when we don't, we don't get the results. In our culture, um, because we're not, we're not following God's truth or following our own truth, all the other stuff doesn't work. And then we wonder in the middle of the week why we don't have peace in the middle of what we're doing because we're out of order. We don't have it going on that God is saying. And Paul's saying, you can do this. I'm giving these to, to help you with this. Um, one of, you know, we sang a song um, today. It's called Another in the Fire. It's a story from the Old, the Old Testament and Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel. There's these three young men that um, were, were taken captive into, the, into Babylon. And uh, the king, uh, he, he erects this big statue of himself and tells everybody to worship, worship the statue of him. Right to worship him, or they, they die. And so these three young men, they're in, in while this ceremony is going on, he's having a bow. These three young men don't bow, and they report to the king, "Hey, there's uh, everybody's bowing except these three young Hebrew men." Um, the king gets so furious and says, "Brings them forward, says, hey, 'Hey, I'm gonna play music. You bow or you die. We're gonna throw you in the fire, in the fire, in the furnace. Uh, they, they would burn them." And so the, these, the the three young men said, "King, you know, um, we're gonna follow God. So whether we perish in the fire or whether God saves us, we're gonna follow Him." And essentially they say, hey, we're at peace. We know the standard God has said. You're not the standard. He's the standard. So we're not bound to you. We're bound to him. But if we perish in the fire, we perish and we're with God. But if God saves us, then he saves us. And essentially they said, we're not going to bow. The king gets so furious that they don't bow to him that he says, heat up the, the, the furnace seven times as hot, hotter than it normally is. So they heat it up. And then they get the guards to take these three in there. And what's interesting about the story is as the guards are taking them in, the guards all fall and die because it's so hot. So the guards die, the three guys go in. And then after a while, the king's looking in there and saying, hey, um, didn't we send three in? And they're like, yeah, well, why is there four? And why are they walking around in the fire? And, and the king kind of freaks out and says, hey, call them out. And so in the fourth one, it says was, was like the likeness of God. It was like it was Jesus, right? So he's walking in the fire with them. And so he calls them out, and, and, and he says, like, surely your God really is the God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your standard, it really is the standard. They had peace in the middle of a very difficult situation. Why? Because they understood truth. They were doing what's right, and they were able to walk in that peace that God had for them. In our lives, when culture comes to us and says, no, this is the standard, no, this is the truth, right? My truth is going to rule the day. You can, st- you can stand your ground and say, no, you know, I'm, you can choose that. And if you're here today and you want to choose whatever you want to do, that's a gift that God gives you. Choose what you want to do. But he says, if you choose, just so you know, all the outcomes will be exactly what I tell you the outcomes will be. And if you choose to follow me, 
the outcomes will be very good. You'll have success. You'll have, you'll have joy and, and peace and fulfillment in your life. And he invites us into that. So choice is ours, but we need to learn to stand because the enemy is going to use the influences of the world to say, no, we need to change that standard because that is so outdated. And God says, no, that standard is put there for a reason. If you study it long enough, if you study history long enough, you'll see that those that break that standard ne- never works out for them. And if you look at history, we can see that and we, and we study it. So he's saying stand, stand firm lovingly. You love others because they're not the enemy, right? But you know it's, it's, we're up against an opponent that, that is very uh, deceitful and tricky. I love some of these words um, from, from the song we sang. Um, um, there's another in the fire standing next to me. There's another in the waters holding back the sea. That's a reference to the, uh, the people coming from Israel. God rescues them. Um, if I ever need a reminding of how you set me free, it's the cross that bears the burden that the other died for me. There's another in the fire. Uh, there's a, there's a, the bridge. I can see the light in the darkness as the darkness bows to him. I can hear the roar in the heavens, the space between where it's thin. It's all these references to the fact that when we're facing something difficult, God is closer than we think. You can't see him, but he's right there. You, he, he's there to help you on this journey. Um, just, just, and it, it's, a, it's a great song. Just encourage us to say, God, in the middle of what we face, when we're doing what's right, man, we can trust that you're with us. And there's a peace in the middle of that that passes even all understanding. That when everybody else is freaking out, you can say, hey, no, I trust. I trust this. And the way you get that is by, by reading, reading the Bible, saying, God, what is your truth? What's your truth for my kids? What's your truth for my business? What's your truth for my finances? So what scripture in the Bible says, God will supply all your needs according to his riches. So you're struggling financially. You get that scripture out. You say, God, you said you're going to help supply these needs. Now, you can't be doing the opposite of what scripture says of your finances and expect him to supply your needs. You have to begin to trust him saying, God, I put you first. So here's my challenge. Um, here's the challenge. Walk in peace by living the truth found in God's word. Walk in peace by living the truth that you find in God's word. What are you doing? You're walking that peace. Why? Because you understand the truth. You're living it. It gives you the peace that you need. So how do we do this? This week, would you read with me? Tomorrow, chapter 1 of Ephesians. Would you read the whole, whole chapter? Maybe if you read one time through, read a second time through. Maybe read a different translation. Just get one in you and then ask God, God, what is that one truth in this chapter that you're speaking to me to live out today? And I promise there'll be something in that, that chapter, chapter 1, that'll jump out to you. And you begin to say, God, if this is the truth, help me to live this out today. Maybe, and then you, you just ask him and you begin to live that out. What, is it, what are you doing? You're, you're putting on the armor that will help you overcome when the enemy comes. So then when somebody comes next door from your office and gives you bad news or says something, you're not like, oh, I hate life, right? You're like, it'll be okay. Like, I got my shoes on. I got my belt on. I got my breastplate on, right? I'm ready to take this on. No matter what comes my way, I can face that. Ephesians 20, uh, Ephesians 2, 17, let's end with this. It says this, He brought the good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who are near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So Paul's saying because of the good news, right, the gospel, the good news that he has brought peace to us because of the cross, we can be, have forgiveness of sin, we can have a new start. But notice, he brought this good news of peace to you and me. Gentiles referring to those who weren't part of Israel that were the rest of the world. So the cross opened up the grace and the gospel to everybody in the world, you and me included. And today, before you leave, there's some of you in this room that you need to accept that grace. You need to accept what Christ has done for you on your behalf. That's the first start of peace, right? So some of you in this room say, man, I don't have peace. Like I, I walk without my shoes all the time because I'm always freaked out about life and how things are going. Well, he's saying, first, it starts having peace with me. Live the truth that you're knowing, Right? Begin to do what's right, you'll have peace. And so today, if you're not, if you're here and you don't have peace with God, 
the starting point is always being honest about the truth. You're honest with yourself. You're honest with others. And you say, God, man, I need your help. I cannot do it on my own. And honesty is always the starting point. And so today, I'm going to invite you to lead some of you in a prayer that need to be honest. Say, God, that's, that's me. I need your help. I need your peace. I need your support. I want to be an overcomer. I want to be successful in this life. God, I want to follow your lead. Do me a favor. Close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service. If you're here today and that's you, um, you would, you'd be honest and, and brave enough and have courage to say, that's me. Um, I'm here today. Would you lift your hand and just say, that's me today. I want God's peace. Awesome. God, I need your peace. One word from God can change your situation. Don't ever forget that. As read the Bible this week, hearing what God has to say, it'll, it'll encourage you, it'll help you. Man, a lot of hands went up. Anybody else? I need God's peace. Awesome. All right. For you that raised your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of invitation of relationship with God. Since you're saying, God, I want your peace. I want relationship with you. I want everything you have to be mine. So it means to be a Christian. You follow Christ. You get into part of the family. You follow his lead. If you raise your hand, pray this prayer with me. If you're here and you're a Christ follower, would you pray with us so they're not praying alone? Say this today. Say, Father God, today I acknowledge I need your help. I've done wrong. Forgive me. My choices and my sin. Help me to know your truth, your way, and lead me in that. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on that cross so I could have a, a better way to live. I can have a new life. I put my trust in you today. I follow your lead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate all those that raised their hand today. So good.